If you're one of the many who struggle with varicose veins, you know it's more than cosmetic. It's a condition that can cause significant leg pain and fatigue, and it can affect your daily lifestyle. My guest today is Dr. Sandra Spruill. She's a vein specialist with the Center for Venous and Lymphatic Medicine. Dr. Spruill, what are varicose veins, and what's the difference between varicose veins and spider veins? There actually is an important difference between varicose veins and spider veins. The main discriminator is the size. If the vein is the size of a thread, it's a spider vein. The medical word for that is telangiectasia. If it's the size of your pinky or perhaps your thumb or in between the two, you would think of it as a varicose vein. Wow, that's a nice simple definition. Thank you so much for that. So do we know what causes varicose veins and are there certain factors that increase your risk of developing them and is there a genetic component to these? Yes, to everything you just asked me, Melanie. Actually, there is a strong genetic component. One could turn to their grandparents and their parents to figure out if they're at risk for this disease process. Genetically speaking, if both parents have either a spider vein or a varicose vein, a patient's risk for having a similar problem is as high as 90%. That it is that high is almost mind-boggling. And then if you think of only one parent having an abnormal vein, and again, that's either a spider vein or a varicose vein, that risk drops to 47%, but that's still very high. So if a patient looks at their parents' legs and their grandparents' legs and they don't see any abnormal veins, another question could be, should they think, aha, I'm not at risk for this. Absolutely not. This is so common that even in the people who don't have it genetically, the risk is as high as 20%. That's really very high. When you ask about other factors, I think you're implying, is there an environmental factor that's important? Absolutely. It's not only heredity that plays a role in this. Also, hormones, pregnancy, secondary causes such as obesity, trauma, Gravity, and by gravity, I mean think of jobs that involve prolonged uh, sitting or prolonged standing, somebody who works in a factory, an assembly line, a nurse, a doctor, a teacher. All of those occupations are at risk for developing this disease process. So along the disease process, Dr. Spruill, when should somebody contact their health care provider about these? They maybe start to see them or they know they've got a genetic component. So while you're answering that question also, is there any way to stop that 90% or those high percentages that you mentioned? Is there any way to prevent them? And if you do start to see them, when do you go see somebody about them? Well, I I think it's never too early to seek a consultation, but I think there is such a thing as potentially presenting too late. We like to catch this disease process when it's early. So let's talk about this in terms of varicose veins. If you have a varicose vein, when should you seek a consultation? Well, think about signs and symptoms. So does the leg feel heavy, achy, tired? Does it throb? Do the varicose veins itch? Do they sting? Do they burn? If you have any of those symptoms, seek consultation. What about signs? Signs can be skin changes. Is your ankle turning bronze, your lower calf? Are you developing ulcers, venous ulcers, or is the skin getting hard, thick? We call that sclerotic. Uh, There's a medical word for it, lipodermatosclerosis. 
if your primary doctor has diagnosed you with that, and again, it's a skin change or a skin sign that goes along with having vein blood running backwards in the leg and pooling in the lower leg, then you definitely want to seek a consultation. And I might digress further to say that we like to catch this disease process before there are skin changes because we want to prevent those. 20% of patients who have varicose veins go on to to, uh, develop ulcers. We don't want someone to be in that category. We want all of our patients to be in the 80% who do not. So it's important to catch this disease process early. Then let's talk about treatment. So before seeking medical treatment, and if you know you're at risk, or as you say, you start to spot a few little things, are there some things you can do at home, compression, stockings, exercise, any of these kinds of things for home and lifestyle management of varicose veins? You exactly hit the nail on the head with the things that you've mentioned, Melanie. Compression stockings, that's key, just as activity is key. So let me digress about compression stockings. You know, they come in dosages or strengths, and patients often don't think of the strength of a compression stocking as a dose, but it is. It has a mechanical and a medicinal benefit. So compression stockings are woven so that they're tighter down around the ankle. They get less tight as they go up the leg, thus less blood pools in the leg. So someone can start those. Uh, 20-30 strength is recommended if you have varicose veins and then their dosages or strengths higher than that. That's an important thing to wear daily from the time you get out of bed until you go to bed. It's important to be active. Get up, move around. A dedicated 30-minute walk later in the day does wonders for vein problems. It does wonders for prevention. Uh, It could be anything else that pumps the calf muscle for 30 continuous minutes. Uh, Another thing to do is the common sense leg elevation. Gravity is the enemy when you have a vein problem. Gravity pulls blood down through abnormal vein uh, valves. So anything that you can do to elevate the leg, just even 45 degrees on a footstool. You don't have to live a life of being on your back with your legs up on the wall. That's not practical in today's society. So move around, elevate the legs, wear compression. And another thing that someone could do is take a supplement for veins. There are actually two very well-researched supplements that are available in the United States. We have proven safety for long-term administration. We know that they help 70 to 80% of patients with vein-related pain and swelling, and they also slow down the disease process. They have some funky names. One is called Diosmin Hesperidin, D-I-O-S-M-I-N, mixed with Hesperidin, H-E-S-P-I-N, P-E-R-I-D-I-N. Those are flavonoids. So think vitamin C, but not vitamin C. Taking diosmin hesperidin can slow down the disease process just as taking horse chestnut seed extract can slow down the disease process and help with symptoms. What great advice. And listeners, I hope you wrote that down because I certainly am writing it down right now as she's speaking. That's really good tips to use right now and certainly about exercise and explaining compression stockings to us. So now if you do need medical treatment as a vein specialist, what are some of the options out there? We've heard about laser surgery or sclerotherapy. Speak about some of these and how they can help varicose veins. There are many uh, procedural options. We always start, of course, first with non-procedural options. And if that's not doing enough to relieve symptoms or to help some of the signs, then we move on to procedures. Uh, For 
larger abnormal veins that are straight, we tend to think in terms of what can we place inside the vein to trigger it to scar closed. So for anyone who knows venous anatomy out there, I'm talking about great saphenous veins and small saphenous veins, and then there's also something called an accessory saphenous vein. Those veins are by and large straight, uh, located either higher in the leg or in the middle of the back of the calf. Those veins can be closed off by heating them from the inside, thus a laser or a radiofrequency probe, anything that can generate heat to scar a vein closed. There's also something that's fairly new, somewhat recently FDA approved. Uh, it's an adaptation of surgical glue, so instead of using a catheter with a, a heating tip, we're using actually a catheter that dispenses aliquots of glue in the vein, so it actually glues the vein together and thus it scars closed. Uh, that's called the venoseal procedure. There are other procedures that use little oscillating wires at the tip of a catheter that irritates the lining of the vein and medicine is injected at the same time. Uh, there are many newer techniques. Stripping has been replaced, so if uh, a patient that's listening uh, is advised to undergo vein stripping, ask for newer, kinder, gentler techniques because they've been in existence since 1999 with the first heating probe. Uh, other options for the bulgy varicose vein, once a main strength, straight trunk vein has been treated or axial vein, which is a long straight uh, vein in the leg, once that's been closed off, that sets the stage to successfully get rid of a varicose vein. And there are multiple options to do that as well. One option called an ambulatory phlebectomy involves numbing up the vein, of course, and also making little small incisions across the vein and then gently teasing it from the skin. It's a very simple office technique. And then there is always injection, which is sclerotherapy. The type of sclerotherapy is different depending on the size of the vein. If it's a large varicose vein, a physician is likely to want to do something called ultrasound-guided endovenous chemical ablation, which is a fancy verbiage for foam sclerotherapy. So literally, the medication that's injected inside the vein looks like hair mousse or shaving cream. You can envision that that could uh, expand to the different sizes of a ropey varicose vein so that the whole lining is very well coated with medication, thus triggering it to completely scar closed. That works very well. And then for smaller veins, liquid medicine can be injected, and there are two FDA-approved medicines for that purpose as well. All of these techniques I've mentioned can be done in the office. They don't require uh, outpatient surgery, inpatient surgery, full anesthesia. You can literally walk in, have your office-based treatment, and walk out. Uh, so they're very, very simple, few complications, uh, but should be done by a physician who is well-versed in them. So I would add that any patient listening might want to always look for a physician who is certified by the American Board of Venous and Lymphatic Medicine because that means they've gone uh, through an additional assessment to certify that they have a level of knowledge for treating venous problems and they should be well-versed in the techniques that I've mentioned. Wow, what a great educator you are, Dr. Spruill. And before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you a question that I think a lot of patients might ask, and I myself am an exercise physiologist, but I still always wonder about this in your field of study. When you discussed ambulatory phlebectomy or endovenous ablation therapy, if you are cutting off those veins or removing them, didn't we need those veins? Well, 
remember that what we are referring to and what we're targeting, these are abnormal veins. They're not functioning properly. So if we close them off, we are actually forcing the venous blood to be redistributed to normal, healthy veins that carry it the proper direction up, down the wrong way. So it's fine to close off uh, veins that are abnormal. Now, one caveat on that would be that we still like to spare the great saphenous vein below the knee. And the reason for that is it does have other applications in medicine. Sometimes the great saphenous vein below the knee is harvested and transposed to the heart for uh, a bypass surgery in someone who has coronary artery disease. Or it could be used to bypass uh, a blocked artery in the leg as well, peripheral arterial disease. So we're always careful about what we close off, when we close it off, and where we close it off. What, when, and where always important. Thank you for clearing that up and wrap it up with us. Your best advice for people that are at risk or have already noticed varicose veins, what you want them to know about seeing a provider and getting a consultation and figuring out what they can do about them. My best advice is actually times have changed. It's really time to step out of the dark ages when it comes to recognizing and treating vein problems. You don't have to just live with it anymore. Actually, many physicians uh, are still old school and don't realize that there is an expert uh, subset of knowledge in this venous and lymphatic medicine. And I might mention that myself and my two partners here at the Center for Venous and Lymphatic Medicine were all certified in this area. Uh, so I think that's very important to realize that there is a subset knowledge. You don't have to live with it anymore. As I said, step out of the dark ages. Don't hesitate to seek treatment because it's easy to start compression. It's easy to walk. It's easy to elevate your legs. Help is out there. Care can be individualized uh, to each patient. So get going. Get the consult. Prevent this from getting worse. It's not something you have to live with anymore. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise and educating us so very well on varicose veins and the treatment options available. Thank you again for being with us. You're listening to Inside Health. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for joining us.